0: Uh, morning everyone. I think up on the screen in a second should come uh, a slide that just says actions speak louder than words. Uh, Is that, hang on two seconds, we'll just get that up there if Mark does that. Actions speak louder than words, it's it's one of those familiar phrases and I think we kind of get it, we know it, we we believe it, we agree with it and uh, this is one of those days in the annual calendar, 14th of February Whenever a phrase like this is and becomes even more relevant and important and quotable as cards are sent and as flowers are handed over and as breakfast in bed is delivered and as meals are made or they're paid for and as gifts are exchanged, although there may have been a few conversations this morning between people when none of the above uh, (laughs) occurred and someone says... And when that happens, someone says, but I love you, you know I do, and then the response comes back, yeah, but actions speak louder than words. Now, hands up if you've had a conversation like that this morning already. No. Oh, Somebody's been honest, that's <laughs> very good. <laughs> there will be prayer after the service, it's okay. Well, here on this Valentine's Day, uh, certain actions during this next hour will, I hope, speak extremely loudly not just as we watch Stephen and Hannah and Victoria being baptized in front of us, but also as we pass round and as we share in this simple meal together at this table, which is a table that reminds us of an action that spoke and and still speaks so loudly. But what I love about a service like this is that it's packed with actions and words, which when you take together, speak even louder. The volume level this morning is is going to be turned up, a few decibels anyway, as people are baptized and as bread and wine is passed around, and as we listen to Stephen and Hannah and Victoria speak words, plus as I attempt to explain using more words a little of what their actions today actually communicate and convey to us. And so I I do pray that we'll all leave here this morning with our ears ringing. That's my hope and prayer, that we'll all leave here this morning with, with our ears ringing. And in a few minutes, these three people are going to be baptized. And I realize that a number of people have come for that very reason, and they're generally sitting here at the front, and you're really welcome. Thank you for joining with us this morning to witness this dramatic highly visual, public, and let's be honest, slightly weird uh, event. But for the next 10 minutes, I'm just gonna try to explain what baptism like this is and and why it's important to these three people, because I assume it's important to them otherwise, why would they be doing this? Why would they be doing this in front of, of all of you? Gordon has just read some of the last and final words of Jesus. Words of instruction that have kind of come to be known as the Great Commission. Here here they are again. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority has been given to me. And then he says, go. This is what I want you to do from here on. And I want you to go. I want you to make disciples. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I I want you to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and then this promise that surely I'm going to be with you as you do that, right through to the end of the age. Well, in a few moments, we're going to take some of those words, and we're actually just going to take them, and we're going to put them into practice. We're going to activate them here at the front. Stephen, Hannah, and Victoria are followers of Jesus. They have become his disciples. This, this morning, is not about them becoming Christians. They are Christians. And so just before they get get baptized, we're gonna listen to them on video, share a little of how that happened to them, why that happened to them, where that happened to them, whatever. And so as Christians, they are simply this morning doing what Jesus then instructed them to do, getting baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, And therefore, at a very simple level, baptism like this is an expression of obedience. It's an active step of obedience. But it goes further than that because Jesus not only instructs us to do this, but he modeled it because Jesus believed passionately that actions speak louder than words. And so Jesus, around the age of 30 in the River Jordan, was baptized. And so was 21st century disciples who have committed themselves to Jesus and therefore are saying, do you know some? We want to follow Jesus. We want to live as Jesus. We want to walk as Christ walked. Then these three people are just saying, here, we wanna embrace that example. We wanna pick up on that example because we are now followers of Jesus. And so baptism is an expression of obedience and it is a reflection of an example. But back again to those, those famous words of Jesus because after Jesus said them, right at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus then returned to be with his father. He went home. And then he empowered and he enabled his disciples to be his witnesses wherever they went. And so the disciples went about and started sharing the message of Jesus with whoever they met. They talked about his inspirational life. They talked about his sacrificial death. They talked about his astonishing resurrection. And in Acts chapter two, which which kind of tells the story of what happened next, we read that this message, their message, their good news, their gospel about Jesus, it started to impact people. People started to take it on board. People started to sit up and listen. In fact, the way it's put is that people were cut to the heart whenever they heard this message of Jesus. And whenever they were cut to the heart, they turned around to the disciples and said, well, what should we do now? What do we do next? We accept this. We believe this. So what do we do And the disciples said, you do this. You repent and you be baptized, every one of you. And 3,000 people did exactly that and the Christian church was launched. And the rest is history. And here we are 2,000 years later and we're still celebrating the good news of Jesus and we're still baptizing people like Stephen and Hannah and Victoria whose hearts have been challenged, whose hearts have been cut whose hearts have been changed and whose lives are still being transformed from the inside out. These three people have heard the good news about Jesus. At some point in their lives, at various points in their lives and in various ways, they've made the decision like 3,000 people in Jerusalem two millennia ago and countless people have ever since. They have made the decision to repent and to be baptized. And so they're just following through on a biblical command. They've already done the first of those two things, and we'll come back to that in a second. And here this morning, 14th February, 2016, they're simply following through on the the second of those. And if you read the book of Acts which traces the kind of story and growth of Christianity. You see this pattern played out time and time again as people react to the good news about Jesus and what they discover about him, where they turn around, where they turn away from a previous way of life, a sin kind of dominated way of life. They accept Jesus and then they get baptized. So thirdly, baptism like this is simply an active follow-up to repentance. But let me go back to this word, repent. Stephen, Hannah, and Victoria have at some point in their lives, and they may tell that as part of their story, but at some point in their lives, they have recognized the reality of what the Bible calls, and I know it's not popular to talk about this, but they've recognized the reality of what the Bible calls sin in their lives, this kind of inbuilt, inborn, selfish tendency to do what we want, to just kind of live life our way, to mess things up in a sense. It's this thing that eats away at our hearts and it corrodes life as it was meant to be. And it causes, and is the root cause of all kinds of negative attitudes. Our words and our actions are affected and infected by this thing. And so we see it spilling out in, in anger and in jealousy and in greed and in pride and in injustice and in lies and in bigotry and in sectarianism and on and on and on the list goes. But sin doesn't just cause man's inhumanity to man, it does. And it wrecks relationships, and it destroys relationships, and it causes dysfunction in relationships. But it also disconnects us from God. It disconnects us from the relationship that actually God created us to enjoy. So sin creates this barrier between us and a a holy God, and it's a barrier that, that Scripture says we can't scale, we can't break it down by ourselves, no matter how good we are, no matter what we do. But it's then kind of into this problem that the good news of Jesus becomes a reality. Because rather than leave us disconnected and leave us separated, God has enabled reconnection. God has dealt with the barrier. And the way he dealt with it was via Jesus, who became a sacrifice for our sin. And the message of this cross is, listen, God reconciles people to himself. God brings people back into that relationship that they were created to enjoy. And so if we confess our sin, if we admit that we've messed up, if we turn from self towards Jesus, in other words, if we repent, that's just what it means, change direction then God in his love and in his grace and in his mercy forgives us and restores us in the right relationship. And so this table and this bread and this wine, these are visible reminders of this. Visible reminders that God so loved the world, but God didn't just say, I love this world. He demonstrated it, why? Because actions speak far louder than words that in the while we were still sinners, still messed up, still disconnected from God, still doing our own thing, Jesus gave. Our God gave Jesus, and Jesus laid down his life. And for Stephen, for Hannah and Victoria, this table, and what this table points to, the cross of Christ, is important to them. It is personal. It means something. And so as a result of this, Which reminds them, and points to this. They've confessed their sins. They've repented. And now they're being baptized. Doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean they never get it wrong. Doesn't mean they haven't sinned since. Just ask their families. Christians still sin. But the thing is, it no longer controls our lives. We're no longer slaves to it. We still get it wrong. We still mess up. Not one Christian here this morning could stand up here and say, I haven't got it wrong this week. We have. I have. But sin no longer controls our lives. We're no longer slaves to it. Its power over us has been broken. And because the Holy Spirit now lives within us, we have God's internal and supernatural help to live transformed lives and to follow Jesus. And I realize that when I say a lot of that, there there is a sense of mystery in that. I can't fully explain it but that's the good news that we celebrate and share. And so having come to that place of repentance, they're now following up. And so baptism is an active follow-up to repentance. And finally, this dramatic act is a rich act of symbolism. Because what this does this morning is it symbolizes and it connects Stephen and Hannah and Victoria to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as they are immersed in water, and that, that's what will happen to them, and, and immerse in the New Testament just means like they are put under. And so as they are put under this water, they're symbolically visualizing that they have died with Christ. They have died to sin. They've died to their old life. They've died to their sin-dominated lives. And the water that they're submerged in it's also symbolic because it kinda of is a picture of cleansing. It is a picture of forgiveness. It is a picture of the very fact that they have come to the cross. They have said, listen, Jesus, I recognize that you have died for me. I'm sorry for the sin and the mess in my life. And so this water kinda of symbolizes that washing away of sin. But then, as Stephen lifts them back up out of the water, they are symbolizing that like, just like Jesus, they didn't remain. They don't remain dead. They, rem- they become alive in Christ. And therefore, when they are lifted up out of the water, it screams of a dramatic and res- transformational resurrection into a Christ, orientated Christ, centered Christ, focused Christ, honoring way of life. They're dead to sin, yeah, but they're alive to Christ. And so these three baptisms this morning are gonna witness to us in a very symbolic way. And so as you watch what goes on here, and I'm done, as you watch these actions, as you listen to their words, as you've listened to my words, please, please allow all of it to speak into your life. Celebrate with them. Share in their joy. And allow this expression of obedience, this reflection of an example, This follow-up to repentance, this rich act of symbolism to speak into your own life. And if anybody has any questions about anything that happens here this morning, please do talk to us afterwards. But may actions speak loudly, and may actions and words speak even louder. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your son, Jesus, who was baptized in the River Jordan and passed through the deep water of death. And we praise you that he was raised to life and that you exalted him. And so I ask you to send your Holy Spirit now that this baptism may be for Stephen and for Hannah and for Victoria. May it be a union with Christ in His death and in His resurrection, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, they may also be raised a new life in him. And may their actions today in front of us speak loudly into our lives. And may you take these actions and take their words and cut us to the heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.